one thing I've learned is it doesn't matter what you do. If you're going to go and build a business, it could be a small business or it could be a massive business. It's going to take about the same amount of effort and energy to become super successful at anything. If you're playing the right game, your outcome can be exponentially better than if you're playing the wrong game. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Bike Ride, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Mark Jenny, the founder of RVShare.com, and some other really interesting business we're going to talk about in this episode. Mark grew up homeless, dropped out of school, created his first business when he was 13, and started over 30 companies since then. This guy has sold over a billion dollars worth of products online, and basically has done anything and everything. After exiting from all these different eight-figure companies, Mark now spends his time creating one-of-a-kind luxury Airbnbs. I actually got to stay at one. It was insane. You can check out his Airbnbs and learn more about Mark on Twitter. It's at Mark Jenny. That's M-A-R-K-J-E-N-N-E-Y. If you ever want to learn about how to succeed at business after starting dozens of companies, you're going to love this episode. In this conversation, here's three gigantic things. Number one, how did Mark recover from his business partner taking all of his money and moving to another country? Two, why Mark always looks to play the right game. Number three, whether Mark chased happiness or wealth, and which one actually brought him success? Okay, it was the money. You guys know it was the money. Enjoyed those three things, plus a bunch more air nuggets along the way. In this conversation, there was so much delving deep into how Mark built so many businesses from the ground up. We could not contain it all in just one episode. As a result, we have made the exciting and executive decision to do something new for the show and turn this into a double feature. So this is part one of Mark's incredible journey. Part two is in the works. So make sure to tune in next week for the continuation of this discussion. Before we dive into the show, if you've been wanting to launch your own business just like Mark, but you don't know where to start, I have reopened my own course, Monthly 1K. It's how to make your first $1,000 a month business. And you can get it right now for 20 bucks. It might be a little bit higher by the time you listen to the episode. We do raise the price. 20 bucks is just insane. It's going to help you get through all the scary parts of starting your first business, get off your tuchus, as my Mima used to say, and get going. If you're curious, don't be curious. Go do it. Stop waiting around for it to come to you. It's not. Go make it happen. Go to okdork.com slash monthly1k. That's okdork.com slash monthly1k and get going today. Also, if you're not on my newsletter, go to okdork.com. We just completely redesigned the site. I'd love to see what you think of it. And you get my exclusive content each and every week, which is tips, marketing, podcast, productivity, and it'll make you smile. Also, special pre-show shout out to listener JavaJohn99. That's a cool name. Refreshing, great podcast. I feel like you're talking to me directly because I am. Wow, it's unlike, what's that, that comedian with the whiny voice. Thank you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners for listening to the show. If you want to shout out in a future episode, I'd love to call you out. So leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. I check every single one of them. So first off, Mark, Jenny, I got to share. I've used rvshare.com. You're the founder. I love it. We've come a long way from there. So let's go back to the beginning of your origin story. You grew up homeless. I did. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how did your family even end up in that situation? Yeah. My dad just was not good at managing money. It's just not been a strong suit of his. And we lived in, it was behind a tire shop. Luckily, we were not out on the streets, but we lived behind this tire shop in this little room for about two years. And there was a bathroom with a sink. There was no shower. So we'd get a washcloth and throw some soap on it and wash up. That was how we bathed. It was humbling. I really didn't grow up in the best part of town. I was going from like the bottom to the bottom. There wasn't like a massive leap in lifestyle for me where I was like living large and all of a sudden I was like living in the back of a tire shop in a little storage room. My whole upbringing was really coming from nothing. Being homeless was part of that journey. What that has done for me today 
is kept me more grounded and it's really made me appreciate all the blessings that we have today because yes i've worked really hard yes i've sacrificed and dedicated myself for many years and sacrificed a lot of different things on many different levels to get to where we are today but there's still luck involved and just being so appreciative and grateful of everything i have you could take all this away and i'm still going to be appreciative and grateful because i don't get excited about stuff. I think for me today, I've really come to realize fulfillment in life and everything. It's about people and experiences more so than it's about things and stuff. What were some of the moments you noticed between your parents and what was it like with the family? My parents always fought about money all the time. That's really all I remember. The interactions with them is just fighting about money all the time. Things were lean and like we'd go to McDonald's and my dad would buy one hamburger and cut it in half and give my brother half of it and me half of it. And hamburgers were like 59 cents at the time or something like that. And he didn't even have enough money to buy both of us a hamburger. But I got super lucky very early on. When I was 13 years old, I had some cousins. They lived in New York City and they had a compound in the Hamptons. And they were money managers and they were very wealthy. This was the most pivotal moment of my life of anything as far as like coming from nothing to actually making something. And when I was 13 years old, I went to New York City. My cousins... They paid for an airline ticket to fly me out to New York for a week. I stayed with them at their penthouse apartment on Park Avenue for the week. And then on the weekend, we went out to their compound in the Hamptons. And it was the first time I ever experienced or saw like wealth. And to be honest with you, it was a really one of the first times I ever saw people who were happy because there was just not a lot of happiness between my parents and our household when I was growing up. For me, for many years, I thought that money is happiness. Later on in life, I've realized money is not happiness. Money doesn't make you more happy or less happy. It just allows you to become more of who you are and do more of the things you want to do. It makes life easier. But what really got me started, I wasn't seeking material things. I was seeking a happy household. And the household that I grew up in just didn't have a whole lot of love and happiness between my parents. But my eyes were open to a totally new lifestyle. I want that. Whatever that is, I want that. What I have here at home, I don't want this. I want that because I saw happiness. The happiness that they had was just like, I was so drawn to that. So how did this shape your mentality? That ended up prompting me to start my first business on eBay at the time. This was just like me trying to hustle and make some money. Wendy's had a promotion where if you got so many cups, you get a free ticket on Airtran. So many cups got you a one-way ticket and then so many cups got you a round-trip ticket. A buddy of mine, his mom worked at Wendy's and he called me. He's like, hey, have you seen this like AirTran promotion? Like we might be able to get some cups from Wendy's. So we ended up for several days going and dumpster diving. Ultimately, I was trying to scale the business, so to speak. And I hired my brother and his friends. I rented a big U-Haul and we went around to like literally all the Wendy's like geographically in the area. And I was running the show and my brother and his buddies were like jumping in the dumpsters, taking out all the empty cups. We did this for like three days and we ended up making five or six, $7,000 in three days, just jumping into dumpsters, taking cups out and then selling these cups on eBay. There's a lot of different things I've done like over the years, scrappy things and figuring out ways to make money over time. Whatever little money I had saved up at the time, I bought books on trading stocks for dummies, stock markets for dummies. I read up on the stock market as a 13 year old from there on. I business after business have 30 different plus businesses over the years. So have you eaten at McDonald's with your dad? 
and only giving him half a burger now? Or do you let him have a do you let him have a full burger? <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I feel like you should do a family reunion at McDonald's and enjoy it. <laughs> but how did you even get into the different businesses that you started? It sounds like at a very young age, you're like, I'll do eBay. I'm curious how you saw that or you thought about that as a thing to do. Yeah, I mean, eBay was new at the time. You know, I got the idea of being an entrepreneur, I guess. My dad, he was never a successful entrepreneur, but he had several businesses he tried. He never plowed through. He didn't have the grit to continue on. Some people maybe are afraid of success. And I almost feel like he was afraid of success because he did have a couple ventures that were starting to get some traction. And then he basically would stop them. And he would make up an excuse and say, I'm not going to continue this for X, Y, or Z reason. And I don't know if it was because he was afraid of failure. And if he quit on his own terms, then it wouldn't be failure. But he had some direct mail businesses that he tried back in the day. So I was exposed to the idea of entrepreneurship, but there was no like hands-on teaching or training of him necessarily wanting to instill that in me. But I did notice he would work in the basement. He'd be working on a project and he would say, this project could change our lives and I could make a whole bunch of money from it. None of those projects ever came to fruition, but he did work on a few different things. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Gary Halbert. Love Gary Halbert. Copywriter. My dad was Gary's right-hand man. So my dad was best friends with Gary. He used to live with Gary in Santa Monica on the beach. He was Gary's best friend. And direct response marketing is basically something I've been exposed to from a young age. And so for me, that was business starting off in the earlier phase of my life of business was direct response marketing, direct mail. You've done over 30 different businesses to where we are today. Can you walk us through at least some of these different businesses that you've tried over the years? I brought a cheat sheet because a lot of these things, I've just done so many things over the years. I'm like, oh, I forgot about that. I forgot about that. So obviously eBay, I had a lot of different eBay businesses over the years. Sometimes I was buying stuff wholesale and reselling it. Sometimes I was flipping things. I had a sign manufacturing company where I was manufacturing signs and selling them. I had a company that was called Estate Buyouts, where when somebody would have an estate sale, we'd come in and we'd give you $1,000 for everything left in the house. I have buddies who would sell some things on eBay for me, and then we'd sell the rest of the stuff at uh, local like auctions. And multiple digital publishing companies over the years, eBooks, courses, things like that. We had products on like pre-written wedding speeches, things on like how to beat a speeding ticket, natural ways to stop snoring. We were teaching affiliate marketing, teaching SEO, AdWords. We probably had north of 20 different product lines within the business of digital publishing. At one point in time, I had a staff of, I want to say, 15 writers in-house. Nobody was outsourced. It was all under one roof. We had 300 employees. And it was a pretty big digital publishing company with like just everything under the sun. We'd find product experts in different industries and bring them in and build products around them. One company I had, which is very timely today, because ChatGPT is obviously like a huge thing now. I had one of the first AI companies, and it's not real true AI, but I had a company called IntelliChat, which was an AI chatbot. This was like the early, mid-2000s. And I'll call it like a dumb chatbot, but we had this chatbot that we created and other businesses would put it on their website and it would be like an exit pop. So when someone was going to leave the exit pop, it would say, hey, would you like to talk to John? And it would pop up and it would look like John's talking to you. Hey, I see you're leaving the site. Would you like a discount before you leave? And then essentially we had an affiliate link that would be built in there and then we would get affiliate commissions and it had one of the first like AI 
chat companies like way, way back in the day, nowhere near as sophisticated as actual like real AI today. So I was a big hosting affiliate for a while and then eventually ended up starting my own hosting company, had a couple of different web hosting brands. There was a company called freewebsite.com, which was another website builder. Not all of these companies have been successes either. So like I'm naming some things I've done, like some of these things I've done very well and I've been able to build big companies, hire a bunch of people, they've been successful and others have been big flops. Freewebsite.com was a huge flop. We were trying to build a SaaS business website builder, basically like the modern day Wix or Squarespace. And at the time, freecreditreport.com was really popular and it was this huge company. And since Credit Karma has come along and kicked their butt and they're no longer a thing, but at the time, freecreditreport.com was huge. My thesis was like, we're going to do with the same type of advertising. They're doing TV, they're doing radio, only we're going to do it for websites and we'll have freemium model for websites. And we went out, we spent a half a million dollars buying the domain name freewebsite.com because we needed that domain to go with the thesis for radio and TV. It's got to be something that's like super easy to remember. So we went out, spent a half million dollars on that domain and spent multiple millions more trying to build out that company and ultimately it ended up just being a huge flop. But other businesses, so I've had search engine optimization. I had a computer backup company called Instant Computer Backup. That was another company that was a big flop. I've had multiple health supplement companies, sold every health supplement under the sun you could possibly think of had. So mytimeline.com, a digital timeline of your life. That was another thing that didn't work. Another company, which was an app company called Daily Pick, a picture of a day app that also didn't work. Started RV Share. Along with RV Share, actually built out 10 additional RV related websites in the space. Ultimately, when I stepped away from that, those other websites didn't become a focus. So they never really made much of them. I owned part of a nursing home at one point in time. And then now today I have resort style vacation homes, which is the Airbnb company. There's been a whole bunch of other things that I didn't list off and that are not on my list because that was maybe like 15 things. But when I've gone through and tallied up everything I've ever done, I've done a lot and I've done so many different things. And from time to time, like I'll find something in my email and I'm like, I'm searching for something. I'll find something from 10, 12, 15 years ago. I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally forgot that business that I built. And it would be like a real business. It had like real revenue. It'd have something that I probably maybe had $30,000 in revenue and just never really got enough traction. So I'd like ultimately shut it down. But yeah, I've done a whole bunch of different things over the years. What were some of the early successes? How did you make your first million? Yeah, so the first real significant big win that I had was I built a website builder called Your Affiliate Site. So this was before Wix, before Squarespace, almost like GeoCities days. So I built a website builder that allowed people to build out sites and promote other people's products or services as an affiliate and generate commissions. And the model didn't charge for it. It was completely free. But in order to get access and use my website builder, you had to sign up for web hosting through my affiliate link. And that took off. I went from an idea to a business that was making over a million dollars a month in a very short duration of time. And that totally changed my life. I knew nothing about coding, programming. The first version of this website builder was me going and buying HTML for dummies. I was using Dreamweaver and I was like a hack HTML programmer at best. I couldn't write scripts or anything to automate anything. And at one point in time, I was either building or editing hundreds of websites a day by hand. And I was making a lot of money, but I was literally in front of a computer 14 or 15 hours a day, copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste, because my website builder, my V1 of this website builder was not automated. 
it was essentially a modern day Google form where I had a form and somebody would go and fill out their form and I'd say, what is your affiliate link? What color do you want your website? What do you want your website to be about? Blah, 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 blah. And I would literally then take that info. I had people giving me their web hosting logins and their password and their email passwords. And it was very like old school. It was like stuff that like, there was no SSL at the time. There was no any of this stuff at all. So the first version for quite some time was literally like a form that I had online, which was a website builder, but I was the website builder. I was the one literally taking the information off the form was then getting sent to me. And then I was going in and changing the HTML. If you went in and updated your form, you had to wait for me to go in and get the information and go manually update your website for you. That was my V1 of a website builder. But eventually that became automated. But that's really what was like the first big success I had. All of a sudden you're making all that money. What did you spend it on? What did you buy? When I was young, I just blew it all. Living the life of somebody who came from nothing and didn't have good guidance and had no mentors to try to guide you. This is an opportunity. These don't come by every day. You should invest your money. I didn't do any of that when I was young. I had the huge mansion with all the cars. I had more cars than I could fit in my garage. And it's Ferrari, Lamborghini, Bentley, blah, blah, blah. It was all that crap. And go charter a jet and have a bunch of friends like, hey, we're all flying down to Miami or, or go on elaborate trips. And I blew money like there was no tomorrow when I was younger. I didn't know any better. And I don't regret it. I wish I probably would have invested it when I was younger. My mom always told me like, you should be investing. You should save your money and think, oh, I'm smarter than you. Like you've never made a lot of money. You don't know what it's like, mom. And I, in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, mom was right. Like I should have invested my money and saved my money. I was hood rich. And I can say hood rich because I came from the hood, but that's how I was living. I didn't know any better. I really didn't have anybody in my life who I could talk to or who I could look up to to provide proper guidance, which is, I think, one of the reasons why nowadays you see over time, you've seen a lot of these like athletes who come from nothing, they'll get a hundred million dollar contract and then all of a sudden they blew it all. You don't know what you don't know. Did you lose it all or did you just keep getting more rich? Normally the story is like nothing, got something, go down and then come back up. It was a lot of that. I had tons and tons of ups and downs. One thing about me that I think that has allowed me to have the path that I have had is if I built a business, even if that business was profitable, and even if that business was making me 100,000, 200,000 a year way back in the day, if I didn't want to do that business forever, I would literally shut the business down like the next day. I went cold turkey on so many of my businesses. And in hindsight, I'm like, oh man, I was an idiot. I should have hired somebody because a lot of these businesses were sole proprietorships where like it was a business, but it was a one-man business that I had going where I could have just hired someone for $50,000 a year to keep operating the business. And then I could have earned the profits above and beyond that. I didn't understand business well enough that like you could even go out and hire people to replace you. And so there were a lot of companies I had early on where they were successful, they were making money and I was doing very well at the time for where I was. But as soon as I felt like I don't want to do this for the rest of my life, my exit strategy was literally like, okay, I'm going to just shut it down tomorrow and figure out what's next. I'd live off the savings until I figured out what's well, the next business. But I did that several times. What did you learn from starting and failing with these 30 different businesses? There's no failure. There's just learning. There's no failure. There's only failure if you quit. I use the term failure. You use the term failure. A lot of people use the term failure. It's not failure. It's just learning. Having to be persistent, having to grind it out, you don't have to be the smartest. I dropped out of high school. I would say I'm probably of like average intelligence. 
I'm around a lot of really smart people these days who are really a lot smarter than I am and can be quite intimidating intellectually. One thing I've learned is you don't need to be a genius. You just need to put in a ton of action and just keep plowing forward and pushing forward. And you will learn and learn and your learning will compound as long as every single day you are giving it your all and pushing forward to the next step. Too many people just get too discouraged and they just don't give it their all or they give their all for a short duration of time and they don't see immediate feedback. The feedback loop is not always immediate. You got to keep putting that work in and sometimes that feedback loop is not going to hit you for a while. And I think the thing I've learned is you can really do anything. I have a buddy who started a company called Made in Space and they put a 3D printer on the International Space Station. And I remember he and I, at the time he started that company, I was starting RV Share. We were like each other's coaches and we would have a weekly call with each other, like consulting on each other's businesses and what was going on, giving each other guidance and feedback. And I remember him telling me, I know nothing about space. I know nothing about engineering. I know nothing about any of that, but I can find people who do. The vision is this, and I can still make that happen, even though I don't know that. Most people think that they need to know everything before they do anything. And I think that's totally opposite. You need to know nothing. You just need to do a lot and you'll figure a lot along the way. How do you identify opportunities to things that you want to do businesses in? So early on, I was literally just looking for any way to make money. I was young, scrappy. I came from nothing. I was just trying to escape poverty. I was not analyzing businesses in the early days of eBay. I was literally just like searching eBay for like, what could I make? I was literally just searching eBay for a business idea on eBay. I ended up turning it into a six-figure business. So I saw someone selling dollar bills with pictures of celebrities on a $1 bill. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'm like, couldn't I just get sticker paper and print out a picture of a celebrity and cut it out and put it on a $1 bill and sell it like they're selling? I'm like, there has to be something else to this. So I bought the product on eBay, came to me, and it was literally just a $1 bill with a sticker paper with a picture of Michael Jordan on it. So that night I was in the dollar bill business and literally I built that business up to, I was making a couple hundred grand a year selling dollar bills. And I was selling dollar bills on average for probably 15 bucks a piece. The dollar bill business was very good for a period of time until I decided I didn't want to be in the dollar bill business before. I just, at one point in time, cut that cold turkey and moved on to the next thing. But just keeping your eyes open, looking for opportunities, like what is something that someone else is doing that you could do? Or what's something that you can improve upon slightly? One thing I wish I would have known earlier on in my career, and one thing I would go back and tell a younger version of myself is, make sure you're playing the right game. And one thing I've learned is that it doesn't matter what you do. If you're going to go and build a business, it could be a small business or it could be a massive business. It's going to take about the same amount of effort and energy to become super successful at anything. And if you're playing the right game, your outcome can be exponentially better than if you're playing the wrong game. If your goal is basically just to open one restaurant, you're very limited in like what you're upside is versus if you want to go and build a software company, then obviously you can build a billion dollar business. Both of those, the owner of the restaurant and the owner of the software company, they're both going to work really hard. They're both going to put all of their energy, all of their effort into their business to make it as successful as they can, but they're going to have very different outcomes. If they're both successful, one is going to have life-changing amount of income they're going to probably become very wealthy from it. And it could be even generational wealth. And the other one, they might have worked themselves into a successful job that maybe allows them to pay the bills, but it doesn't have the same type of outcome. Do things that have a longer time horizon. I was really focused on things that would make money tomorrow. 
what is something I can do today that'll make money tomorrow? And I wasn't really willing to put in the work to see the return more long-term. I shortcutted myself on quite a few things. And I think there was a few businesses I built that if I would have stuck with it longer, they would have become very successful. So that's one thing is just have a longer time horizon and really look at in a five-year chunk. If I'm going to go and build something, I'm investing five years of time into this. And I have to be able to expect that I'm probably not going to have a massive payday for five years. The other thing is really just making sure you're picking the right game. So I've seen so many people going into business and wanting to do something and they want a lifestyle that's here, but the business they're going into, if they're the most successful at that business, their lifestyle is only going to be here. The game they're playing doesn't match with the lifestyle they're trying to achieve. Do you have other stories like the dollar bill one that worked or didn't <laughs> work? That stuff also inspires people to how they're thinking about opportunities, right? Like people on eBay are buying and selling things. All right, let me look there to see what else is happening. Yeah. The Airbnb business, which we'll get to later, you rented it out, you did it, you built something cool for your kids. It's working. All right, now I have 20 of them. Yeah, I mean, this is very parallel to the dollar bill thing. I also sold a ton of window clings at the time. Basically, a clear image with a picture printed on it that people would put on a window or a car window or whatever. I didn't know anything about copyright at the time. This is not something I would do today, but I was a young kid and I saw somebody selling window clings online of like different celebrities or whatever it may be. And I'm like, I can just go to Office Max. They got window cling paper. I can literally buy and I can put it in the printer and print out window clings. And I did that. And I literally started making a bunch of money. Probably sold a couple hundred thousand dollars in window clings. At the time, I had no idea. I didn't even know what copyright was. I got my first like DMCA notice. I think I sold a Toby Keith window cling. And his real name's not Toby Keith. His real name's Toby Corvell. And I only know that because I got a DMCA notice from his lawyer saying, hey, you're not allowed to sell a Toby Keith window cling because you don't have the permission. We have a trademark on this. So I stopped selling. I'm like, oh, sorry, I didn't know. I literally had no idea. Like at the time I was so naive. I didn't even know you weren't allowed to do that. Like I was like, oh, okay, I could just print this out on my printer and sell it. Like I didn't know there was this thing such as copyrights or trademarks or anything. And then yeah, you find that out and then you stop doing it. What was a story or experience that was one of the lower moments during these early years? Yeah, so I had a business partner who was my best friend, absolute best friend. And we lived together in the same building, hung out together every day. He like left the country and left with all of our money. And that was tough. We were doing very well at the time. And one day he didn't come back. There was a whole story on how he got the money. And he basically, before he left, pitched me on this. Oh, I got this great investment for us, guaranteed, et cetera, et cetera. I need you to wire money. Unfortunately, he didn't come back and we weren't business partners anymore. It was a lot of money. It was a lot. It was almost all the money we had. It was all gone. But I was more distraught, more so than the money, was the friendship that I lost and like the emotional impact that had. I had somebody who I thought was my best friend, who like I hung out with every single day. We had an office together. We were with each other every day. We hung out at night. We hung out on the weekends. We took trips together. That was definitely a low point. What did you do the next day? I didn't realize what happened for quite some time. It was probably over a month until I realized what happened. I didn't think anything of it because he was not from the US originally. He would come and go every now and then. So him leaving the country wasn't abnormal. It's just this time he didn't come back. And this time all of our money went. It wasn't for probably a month later until I realized he wasn't coming back and we were still in communication. And so 
my attorney basically was like, yeah, man, he's not coming back and your money's gone. And I kept telling him, I'm like, no, not a chance. We're like best friends. You don't know this guy. That's not what's going on. I understand he's given a lot of excuses. He can't come back because of X, Y, or Z. The documents that I was supposed to be getting for my money that I sent over for an investment we were making that didn't exist, they were getting delayed because of this, that, and the other. And he kept telling me for weeks, he screwed you, man. He's not coming back. And I kept saying, no, he's coming back. He's coming back. And maybe it was a month later or so that I realized it. I guess if I've ever been quote unquote depressed, that was probably a time for a little while where I was like depressed. I felt like I, I lost my business partner. I lost my best friend and I lost all my money. How to recover from that? I ended up becoming partners with my attorney. I'd become close with him and he and I ended up becoming partners and we ended up launching another business. And I think because of that, I was able to launch another business that was profitable in a relatively short duration of time. It allowed me to bounce back from that. But honestly, it took a long time to really recover emotionally from what had happened. I'm good with it now. I'm like totally good with it now. And I don't want to go into the story now, who it was and everything. I actually had a phone call with him within the last six months. And I've forgiven him for everything that happened back then. But it ate away at me for many years. Maybe motivated you. You had the ups and downs and ups and downs. How did it feel to finally make it? You have the money eventually. You're not homeless. Did it give you the happiness you wanted? How did it feel to make it? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people who find this out, you put in all this hard work and you think, oh, I'm going to make it and then go sit on the beach and life will be great. And that, it's like that for a little while. I've always been happy. Money has allowed me to do more things and have more experiences and help more people and do things like that. So that's great. That's great about the quote money. But I would say for me, when I made it, had nothing to do with money, had 100% to do with time. I own my time. And that is the biggest thing. Like if you own your time and you own your calendar and you own your schedule, if you own your time and you're making 100 grand a year, you have a better life than a guy who's making $5 million a year but doesn't own his time. And I think for me, once I had my time, it really came when I stepped away from RV Share, sold a piece of the company to private equity. I was able to step away because of the person who we were bringing in. He had experience running a peer-to-peer -peer travel marketplace. So literally from like day one, he was able to take over the ship and I was able to buy my time back. And then at that point in time, it was the first time in my life when I exited RV Share where I had both time and money. Before that, I either had time or I had money. I never had both at the same time. I don't have watches. I don't have fancy stuff. Like I spend my money on experiences. I like traveling with my family. Sometimes we'll charter a Gulfstream jet and sometimes we'll fly on Southwest. I can enjoy both. We don't have to be on the Gulfstream for me to be happy. Like we could be flying Southwest and I'm just as happy. It just depends on what we're doing, where we're going and, and whatnot. How much money did you have when you finally felt time rich? It wasn't about a certain dollar amount. It was about passive income. And so what happened was when I exited RV share, I made enough money that I could just put that capital into 100% passive investments that I'd be set for life. Now, my lifestyle might not have been what I wanted. I wouldn't have been able to charter a private jet purely off the passive income alone. But all my bills would pay, a nice house, a really good lifestyle. I would say I had two levels of time freedom. The first in financial freedom and just like that feeling of freedom. One was right when I exited RV share and there was like a lump sum of money, okay? 
but I didn't touch that money. I didn't go out. I didn't buy things with it. I bought two things. I invested almost all of it except for two things. We bought my wife a fancy coffee maker for like six or $700. And we went on a trip. I took my wife, my kids, and my wife's parents. And we went to Europe for the summer. Outside of that, I didn't touch any of the principal. I invested 100% of it. So that is when my lifestyle started improving as far as like me being more comfortable to spend money was actually once my passive income started kicking in from investments. And so once that money started kicking in, then I was more comfortable with, okay, fly nicer, then go to nicer restaurants, then go to nicer vacations. I was fortunate of making a lot of money when I was younger, but blowing it all. And I knew that the amount of money I made was enough money that if I was a good steward of this capital, I could be set for life. But it was also the same amount of money that I could go blow it pretty quickly as well. It's like Mike Tyson made $500 million and blew all of it. Like I didn't make anywhere near $500 million, but I made enough that was like, if I was a good steward of that capital, I would never have to work again. And I could do whatever I wanted for the most part. I couldn't buy a yacht or a jet, but like I could live great, live a great life. Where are these passive investments you're doing? Because I think everyone wants to know which ones you did. Yeah. In the very beginning, when I first got a chunk of capital, it was literally just high interest savings accounts. I was earning enough off of that that it was paying for my lifestyle. But the passive investments for me have really become more where we're at today. We have 20 properties. This is a passive investment for me because this doesn't involve any of my time. It's an operating asset. It produces a really good return. They're not true mailbox money passive where it's, you're just getting dividends from a public REIT, but I've been able to build a team where the business is passive for me. In some of the businesses, you made a lot of money in affiliate marketing, internet marketing kind of companies, I like did. direct marketing, which there's always, I would say, a gray zone with those. Yes. So some of those companies I'm proud of and some of those companies I'm not proud of. Before I did RV Share, I had a business that was, I would call it an internet marketing business. It was a health supplement company. But basically, we were just peddling whatever was like the hottest, latest craze that Dr. Oz was pitching on TV. It was like, oh, this is the miracle weight loss pill or whatever. And that business scaled that up literally from zero to $300,000 a day in sales. A day? A day in two weeks. We were tied in with a lot of traffic sources. It was really driven off of affiliates. We did almost none of our own media buying for it. That $300,000 a day, it was all affiliates. It was literally all affiliates. So yeah. That's a business that I ultimately I ended up walking away from. I was making a whole bunch of money and I gave my equity back to my partners. And I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't feel good about it. I don't believe in the products. I don't believe in the marketing. I'm not proud of this. I literally lose sleep at night. Basically, I felt like a snake oil salesman selling placebo pills. And I'm like, I don't like this. This is not good. I was personally making $250,000, $300,000 a month. And that was my personal cut take home that I just gave back to my partners. I was like, you guys can have this. I didn't want to do it anymore. That actually was a big pivotal moment in my life because that was when I stepped away and started RV Share. And had I not done that, I might not have started RV Share. That's interesting. So you gave up one thing that didn't feel right to something that was a bigger opportunity and felt better. It felt better, but it didn't have that immediate feedback loop. It took me a lot longer and a lot more capital to get that thing going than I thought it would originally. Originally, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good at direct response marketing. I'll have this thing profitable in three to six months. And I had a very rude awakening that it was a totally different business. And it took a lot more money and a lot more time than I thought it would. But ultimately, it ended up working out. But at the end of the day, like I felt like I was building something of value that was not just helping me, but helping others. And 
a lot of businesses I'm proud of, and I've had a handful that I'm definitely not proud of. I felt like I was basically just in it for the money. Two pieces there. I think everyone who's ever been an entrepreneur or wants to be an entrepreneur has done something like that. Yeah. And I think for me personally, it's not whether you continue to do it. It's like, okay, this is my practice. That leads me to something good. It led you to do RV Share, led you to create amazing experiences here. One thing I'm curious about is a lot of people start businesses and maybe give up, but what are the elements of Mark Jenny that seem like you've led to like success and then another success and another success? What are the elements that you're doing? Like you said perseverance and grit. Is that the thing that's really separating what takes to get something like this than what other people are not getting? How do you know when to push through something versus just maybe like, all right, this is enough and I should move to something else? Yeah, I think for me, RV Share was a good example of that where it took a lot longer and a lot more money to get that off the ground. But I saw some positive feedback loops. So even though I wasn't making money for the longest time with that business, it wasn't generating any revenue, we started to see we were getting some traffic. We were getting listings. We were getting people transacting through the site. Even though we weren't in the beginning, we weren't actually party to that transaction. People were just, we were connecting them almost like Craigslist. We were connecting them directly and we would ask people, hey, did you rent? And we would get feedback. Yes, we rent it. So like we knew, okay, great. There's transactions happening. Even though we're not making money here, this is still going in the right direction. And so you do need some type of positive feedback loop, but at the same time, you need to be willing to have delayed gratification. So it's more of a art than a science. Figure it out on a situational basis. But how do you know when to give up and how do you know when to push forward? I wish I had the answer to that. I don't know. To be honest with you, I know my journey. I know what I did but I don't know what that answer is for everybody. What made you stick with RV Share but give up on the supplement company? Well, the supplement company was something that was providing positive feedback loop in the form of I was making a whole bunch of money, but I didn't believe in it. It was not something I wanted to do. It was not something I wanted to like go to a party and be like, hey, this is what I do. Hey, I started this. Yeah, I started a company like Airbnb only for RVs. Or I could be like, yeah, I'm selling the latest diet pill that Dr. Oz was just pitching on TV last week. Like one of those I could be proud of and the other one I couldn't. For me, it was more than money and that was why I was willing to walk away from a whole bunch of money. I got one of the best pieces of advice that I've ever received that has changed my life. A friend of mine, Perry Belcher, he said to me, look at what you're doing and see, are there any old happy rich guys who are doing what you are doing or did what you are doing. And at the time, I was selling health supplements that I did not believe in. They were fine for people to take. They were probably more placebo than anything. It was whatever Dr. Oz's latest diet pill was, but I didn't believe in it. I personally just did not believe in what it was. I looked at it, I'm like, yes, I know people who've like built a health supplement brand and become a big national brand, but that's not what we were doing. We were like doing internet marketing, affiliate marketing, we had a bunch of affiliates like promoting whatever product. I didn't like it and I didn't see long-term success. And building a marketplace business, I did see people who were having success with that. That's what allowed me to transition from that into RV Share. What's the story with you selling everything or really having only one thing to work on? And how does that relate to RV Share? Prior to RV Share, I had a lot of different businesses running simultaneously at the same time. So I was definitely very distracted and scatterbrained. And I had the shiny coin syndrome big time. When I built RV Share, I just made a commitment that like, I'm not doing that again. I'm all in on this. This is what I'm doing. And then I was selling things. So to fund that business, I owned some long-term traditional rentals. 
nothing remotely to this scale. Homes that I had bought for $30,000 to $50,000. Essentially, I had a small portfolio of like long-term rental homes that as I was building RV share, I was literally selling one off at a time. And the business was not generating revenue nearly as quickly as I thought it would. So I bootstrapped that business off of my savings and that required for me to make payroll and continue building that business. Okay, am I going to have to sell another property? Yep, sell another property. And so essentially I was selling down my portfolio, not of these high-end Airbnbs, but of like more modest long-term rentals. What gave you the conviction? Just the positive feedback that people were using the platform and that transactions were growing, even though we weren't participating in those transactions for the longest time. It was more the Craigslist model for quite some time where we were just connecting people and letting them transact on their own. But the vision was always to have like true marketplace where they transact through us. However, that just wasn't in the cards in the beginning for mainly because of insurance. Insurance was like a big hurdle that we had to overcome. And we finally got that in place. Once we got insurance figured out, then we were able to become part of the transaction, make it a true marketplace. What's one of the highlights and lowlights from the RV share experience? Honestly, an average day building with my team was probably the highlight. Looking back at it, those were some of the best days, like the early days. So we started this business in my basement. We then moved to the cheapest office I could find in town. I negotiated with the landlord. The office needed new carpet. The carpet that was in there was like 20 years old and stunk. It was terrible. And I said, hey, if you tear this carpet out, because part of the lease was going to include new carpet. So if you tear this carpet out and just leave the subfloor and don't put new carpet in, can I get a better rate on rent? He's like, yeah, I'll give you a couple hundred bucks off a month. I'm like, let's do that. It just being really scrappy. And it's funny because I was scrappy trying to save $200 a month on rent years before I had done very well for myself. So I had a lot of ups and downs and ups and downs. But like the best days were really just the days in the office, building the business, having fun with the team. I had two great co-founders for that business, Joel Clark and Pat Couch. It wasn't just me alone building it. So two great friends and co-founders that kind of helped bring that to fruition. And beyond them, a lot of great team members. My brother was an early team member. Zach was an early team member. A lot of good people. And I don't know, I miss those days. I miss the days of being in the office and coming up with an idea and say, oh, okay, we'll split test this tomorrow. And then split testing it and getting feedback and figuring out if our ideas were working or not. Those are some of the best days. I can't point to one major day. Even the big days of, okay, well, sold part of the business, the private equity, the wire hits the bank. No, that's cool. That was very anticlimactic. And I think that just looking back, I really miss just probably the early days of building the business. I think for a lot of the other people wanting to be entrepreneurs and make good money as well, it's just how many swings it takes. You keep building up, you keep learning, you keep improving. And a lot of times they're only seeing the last success and not all the the support. What, What was one of the lower moments? Building a marketplace, you have a chicken and egg problem. We needed both sides. You need supply and you also need demand. So in the beginning, Our model actually was modeled off of VRBO at the time, which they had a different model than Airbnb. VRBO was much bigger than Airbnb at the time we launched RV Share. Airbnb is now much bigger than VRBO, but at the time it was flip-flop. So we were actually modeling off of VRBO where we were going to be, we pay for a listing. So pay $500 a year, $1,000 a year, whatever it is, you get your listing and they help you do the transaction, but they don't take a piece of the action, but you get the listing revenue. And my thoughts were, okay, we're going to go sell listings to people. No one's going to be the first listing. If someone comes to the site and there's literally zero RVs on the website, like no one's going to be like, okay, I'll give you $100 to list my RV when there's no other RVs. So we had to make the site look bigger than it was in the very beginning. 
And so we created a lot of profiles of basically just RVs that didn't really exist, just so the site looked full. And our thoughts were, okay, when we get real listings, we'll remove these, but we're not going to get any real listings until someone actually thinks the site is legitimate. And what we ended up doing is we created these bot listings that started getting traffic and started getting inquiries. And we're like, this is good, but bad because we're getting traffic to the site. People are trying to rent these RVs, but these RVs don't exist. These are RVs that we just made up to make it look like the site actually had inventory on there. And so we're like, okay, how do we solve this problem? So we're like, let's just send these leads to dealers for free. We won't make any money on it. We'll just send the leads to dealers. So we started doing that. Anybody who would inquire about an RV, we just find the closest dealer and manually send them to dealers. And then we decided, okay, we'll scrape all the dealers. We're just going to scrape all the dealers in the country. We're going to put them all on the website and we're going to start sending them free business. We won't ask them for any money. And eventually, maybe down the road, once we start charging, maybe a year, two years, three years down the road, we'll say, hey, if you want to keep getting business from us, now you're going to start paying. But for now, we're just going to send you free business. We did that. And then one of the dealers almost filed a lawsuit against us for listing his inventory on there. And it was actually pretty kind of like scary time because it was early on in the business and it was like one of the big dealers in the country and they were just not happy at all that we scraped their inventory and put it on the site. And we were sending them free business and we told them, we're like, we don't want anything from it. Like we're just sending you free business. But I have a lot of very fond memories of building RV Share and there weren't really a lot of low points in that particular business. That's one that I can think of just because at the time it was pretty scary. We were early on and yeah. Why did you decide to sell? We decided to sell. Why I decided was I was burnt out at the time. I just had my second child. My mom had just passed away, just lost her. I was working seven days a week, working like crazy. We had a couple of different opportunities we were looking at. I wanted to buy my time back at that point in time. And we had a few different opportunities. The other opportunities that we did not take actually, we probably could have made more money from. But the opportunity that I did take with private equity firm out of Austin, Tridium Partners, that involved bringing on John Gray, who John had the playbook on how to run this company. And that allowed me to, not only were we able to cash out and get some money, but I was buying my time back. That's really what it comes down to. It comes down to like, why did I sell? At the time, I was burnt out. I wanted my time. And it was going to also allow me to get a meaningful amount of money that if I invested it and was wise with it, would allow me to not work for the rest of my life. As far as how much you know we sold for, I mean, I think it's public. We had two different rounds where the majority was secondary fundraising rounds. The most recent one was with KKR at a little bit more than 100 million. But that doesn't mean I personally put $100 million in my bank account. At that point, I was not a majority shareholder in the business. I had sold a majority stake to Trading Partners, the other private equity firm prior to that. The business today, I'm still an equity holder in the business today. So I still have equity. So I've had two bites at the apple so far, probably hopefully a third bite. And who knows, depending on how things go, the third bite could be just as big or bigger than the first two bites. But it's cool because my partners became millionaires. And so that was really cool and fulfilling. Just not only was I able to do well financially, but they were able to do well financially from it. We built a lot of jobs, built a good company. I was able to do well and make enough money that that I don't have to worry about bills anymore and think about those things. So that's nice. 
That is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did making it for you. Give Mark some love on Twitter at Mark Jenny. That's M-A-R-K-J-E-N-N-E-Y. Part two is in the works, so make sure to tune in next week for the continuation of this discussion. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's build a fence together. Before you go, tweet at me or Instagram at Noah Kagan. Let me know what you think of these episodes. I love hearing from you. Also, I am putting out a book in January. If you want to be in our launch team, which is basically behind the scenes of how we're doing our marketing, chatting with me privately in Slack, and getting the digital and audio versions for free, shoot me an email, book at okdork.com, and just say, yo. Finally, a couple shout-outs to the amazing team that makes all of this happen. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com for making these podcasts sound super clean. Thank Jeremy George, Cam, Sasanicki, Jen, Tommy Sylvie from the Dork Team for all the magic y'all do. And finally, shout-out to the BD team over at AppSumo. We had Caitlin, Abby Tarver, Genevieve, Jeff. They brought chat-based to AppSumo. We use it on kingsumo.com, Senfox, and TidyCow. It is really impressive how it can do your support answers. Stuff's crazy. And it did really well on AppSumo. Really I'm proud of the people who created it and all the customers who were able to get it. And also, if you want to get some great deals yourself, check out AppSumo.com. Have a soothing day. What's your favorite positive affirmation? I don't know what affirmation is.